Hey guys, welcome back to the Fitness in Philosophy podcast. For the first time ever, I am back home in Southern California. Recording. You may feel a different vibe here. Yeah, well, it's more chill. Yeah, right, there, yeah. Uh, you may get it like a, a ska, punk, you know, skateboard vibe here. You know, red hot chili peppers feelings. You may, you may just come out here. Yeah. You may sense yeah. it. We don't take anything too seriously here. So no, 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 no. I mean, just is what it is. I uh, just listened to a podcast uh, with uh, uh, John Frucente. Fru- John, anyways, the uh, uh, guitarist for Red Hot Chili Peppers. He started when he was 18. And uh, funny enough, uh, just on that, just on the, the point of, you know, being in California, um, the first, the first, uh, gig they played together was in Phoenix, Arizona. Oh, wow. Funny. He described it and was going through where it was and whatnot. I found that fascinating. Um, and just his career, oh my gosh. And the stories anyways, and Anthony came on at the end of the call and surprised him. And they were talking about like, they just got into this thing for 12 minutes on their own about these old times, like when they were young and when they started out and the kind of things they were doing in California. <laughs> oh gosh. It's a classic example of uh, just the mastery really takes that like next level, like what we perceive as being like complete craziness and madness and nihilism and drug usage and whatever. Um, like to them, it took that, it took that level, that area to get into those areas to create such beautiful artistry. You know, I just see that over and over. Um, fascinating. Anyways. Oh, yeah. no, I, no, I totally agree. And like, I, I grew up with all that. So like uh, Zach De La Rocha went to my high school right down the street, uh, university high, um, uh, you know, Taylor Hawkins, RIP, Laguna Beach. Yeah. Yeah, uh, Travis, Travis Parker, um, and uh, no doubt in Anaheim. Man, good times. Good times. That, that good was times that out there. That's good. Mu- that was good. You know, good energy, good music, good vibes came from there. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. At the same time, or uh, just just uh, uh, prior to the Seattle movement, or the what was going on up there in the in the Northwest. Gosh, what a great time for music. And the East West Coast hip hop scene. Oh yeah. I mean those three angles. What a triad, right? What a dark triad. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah. Nar- narcissism, psychopathy, and Machiavellianism. There you go. It's the it's the the dark triad of psychology. Yeah, that was. I mean, I remember someone saying like, uh, "Yeah, the '90s for music," and especially, yeah, it was just it was it was amazing. Mm. Um, I'm trying to think if uh, I think Offspring was from here too. It's from Orange County. I could be wrong. But. Yeah, I don't know that. Um, but yeah, I did many jumping up and down, um, uh, three sheets to the wind, as we would say in Newfoundland. Um, at uh, gosh, what was the place? Junctions, Junction. Uh, that was the bar. Uh, man, lots of up jumping and screaming 
Is there any residual video that one might, that anyone might have? Uh, to, uh, well, it would no. It was. Um, I mean, if if someone had video, they'd be in there with that big camcorder yeah, on their shoulder, <laughs> yeah, with a VHS tape that only had a certain amount of time. Right. <laughs> I think my buddy had a, the newest forms of digital stuff, and we were like, <laughs> mind blowing, right? Um, but no, nothing. Just some pictures, some pictures of some uh, times in university at that time it was. It was a good time. Good time to be alive, Robbie. Great music, great energy. Uh, wonderful one, people. I'd say. Yeah, wonderful people in Newfoundland, and uh, where I where I went to university. Great memories. That's very cool. Mm. I would say objectively, the music was amazing back when we were talking about it. And subjectively, anyone who disagrees. Is- <laughs> well, I was looking up the. Uh, the meaning of subjectivity and they gave an example and the example was uh one thinks that country music is better than all other types of music <laughs> that would be an excellent example <laughs> of perhaps lower order subjectivity of one sort or another <laughs> uh, good stuff well if we were to put a put on a map like where our viewership is uh, i'm thinking we got a couple we got a couple of scragglers who would say uh uh, that uh, country music, of course, it is the best music. <laughs> we got a few. And to them, I say, no, I'm just kidding. I was, <laughs> I, I apologize for our, con- you know what I was about to say, <laughs> but it was your reaction when I said jokingly that LeBron James was the greatest basketball player of all time. <laughs> and you nearly did like a spit take. I'm still laughing. Oh my gosh. Oh, LeBron, grow up, grow up, bruh grow up but yeah i just the lakers look horrible I how that's him. even like a that's common... subjective statement yeah he's like, making the lakers look horrible yeah no, I, I agree and it's like how it's not michael and kobe and like how bron lebron is even in that i mean i guess maybe tangentially in the conversation we're going there i think we're going there yeah you want to go there <laughs> i don't i don't mind tie I mean... in subjectivity yeah, I mean, Kobe, in somehow. Kobe, in my mind, is, yeah, I mean, it's not even a, I mean, I mean, Michael, of course, number one, but I mean, Kobe compared to LeBron, in, in my opinion, in my subject. Yeah, no, you you approach it uh, very interestingly. Um, I always think about like in 50 years, what's going to be like, and also 30 years ago, what was it like, you know, uh, based upon those differences, Oscar Robertson, Dr. J, et cetera, uh, the Larry Bird magic shit, you know, because that's where I grew up and it was like, MJ came into it where only in my perception as an adult brain was like, there is a possibility that someone's better than Bird, <laughs> you know? Right. Um, but then you see it go over and over again and, it's, and come, leave and then come back. It's like, okay, gosh. It's, but then you are right. What I mean, mean by that is Kobe, if Kobe, just to take the thought experiment, Kobe didn't exist. I think now it's, it's, a, it's, it's at least like an interesting conversation because you, you're, crea- you're creating a, a comparison of only two, right? But the Kobe era, he really did like, you know, <laughs> just stick it in there. So he's either second or third. But you know what I'm saying? It makes you like weigh things out a little differently, I think, because of yeah. what he did. Um, yeah. Anyhow. Yeah, no, it's, a, it's interesting discussions. And I mean, it, you know, it's interesting with almost anything. I mean, this is why, of course, Rotten Tomatoes and Metacritic and all these different things exist like 
there's always different viewpoints and uh you know always different subjectivities and um you know looking to see are there any commonalities between them and do they add up to something more when you aggregate them but it's yeah yeah that's interesting it's a good tie-in though culturally into the topic robbie on uh the um rotten tomatoes versus what's the comparison where you know there's there's these rankings based upon the movie from one group right like the people that are in the business right who are like you know creating a ranking or subjectivity scores on this movie right and they rank it very low but then you see 98 percent of everyone that watched it loved it so you know and so again that just brings up some of the cultural issues that we have in place based upon these opinions right and what those opinions like really do mean and i like your point you made at the end i don't know if you recognize you did it but when the when it when it gets stressed enough and there's enough data enough repetition and enough questions over and over and over some of those truths i.e the objectivity starts to become revealed right was goodfellas the best movie ever made <laughs> a close um, second to the matrix <laughs> There we go. I don't know why I feel like a tiptoeing in a LeBron conversation. <laughs> <when I say> <laughs> um. <laughs> We're just dropping bombs today, James. Subjectivity bombs. Yeah. So the uh, put that one on TikTok. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> or Scarface. Uh, the you know the the yeah. So so just you know it just takes time and repetition, right? To to move that opinion into something that's a little bit more real right like was it the best movie of all time well i mean timeline you know what did the people think right and that would that would allow you at least to create create a consensus and move towards uh, a little bit more of reality of the statement of being the greatest of all time do you know what i'm saying Makes yeah sense. yeah and, and i mean going back to something we said last time about um you know objectivity and obviously there are degrees of it but involving friction yeah yeah Some sort great. of like yeah forgot about that word yeah yeah you know so pure subjectivity has kind of this you know freedom and balance which is awesome and cool in lots of respects but also like when you're trying to get at truth like having a little bit of friction of either someone else's opinions or views or, you know you know what i mean something yeah. to bump up against yeah correct it a little bit or hone it i guess yeah 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 also maybe over the past uh um couple of years with covid and uh and uh, perspectives on that too. Um, there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of that that'll take time to you know to come to a point of realizing like what was some objective things as a part of that. You know, speaking of subjectivity, right? Like, uh, you know, I just even know for um, in Canada, for example, um, I think I don't know if it was just in Western Canada, but I was just keeping in track as to what was going on up there, right, with regards to the um, the quote unquote the policies that are putting in place for what does it mean to be in society and what can you do what can't you do etc and uh you know a lot of it a lot of it at the end i mean we even even know that based upon what came there but uh, opinions had a lot to do with what kind of movements the government made in terms of what they did right so so the government would say as an example we're just going to we're just going to take into consideration the science right the science is what's going to lead it all and then and then you see, well, how, how did you make decisions on these things if the science from the public's perspective, i.e. the Rotten Tomatoes or whatever it's called, the other option, they, they would read through the same stuff and be like, no, the science didn't say that. Well, then 
you know, they're like, well, really, we just relied on what, what the people thought, right? So it came down to making decisions on people's opinions, right? Do you think this is really unsafe? Yeah, we do. Then we should make these, <laughs> these policies, you know what I'm saying? So that's where subjectivity may be from a lens of people who have been a part of this process. I don't know who has been a part of this process, but over the past couple of years, that's where it's fit in as well. And I'm just giving that not for anything to be a provocateur or anything, but just to say yeah. like, this is a, this is where that word can fit into, you know, helping understand. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, we've talked about this on a couple episodes before, but like one of my favorite topics within philosophy of science is this notion of underdetermination. And, you know, just as a quick refresher on that, all that means is like, whatever data you get from the world is insufficient to pick out one unique theory or one way, a unique way of acting. So going to what you were saying, like, you know, it, obviously I think both us agree it is important to, you know, listen to the science and act on the science, but as you rightly pointed out, um, you know, the data and what's presented only takes you the, so far. And then yeah. there has to be some sort of, um, not necessarily a leap, but a, 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 a choice about like, how does one then utilize or interpret this data such that it becomes a plan of action. Yeah, for sure. And I, I respect the choices, right? I respect that there's hard choices as well that you need to make, right? And, you know, just to speak on the previous subject, where the government has to take in all these massive considerations, right, of safety, and we don't know, and etc. So, you know, I get it. I understand that. But again, just to go off, off just the topics, I think there could be some transparency in that process, though, too that I think we've lost, or a lot of people have lost over the past couple of years, right? Um, of them saying, listen, we have some really tough decisions to make. And th this is just how we're going to end up making that decision, you know? Um, in in instead, it's like, no, 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 it's, it's this. <laughs> it's like, well, not sure. <laughs> to your point, right? Um, in a data, data that's coming from the world, you can't make those, can't make those uh, uh, decisions, right? And I mean, like you said, it's it's very important to reflect after the fact, because obviously in the yeah. moment there is, you know, certain pressure to like, oh, this such and such is going to happen if we don't do X, Y or Z. And maybe that was the right choice, but maybe not. But then like viewing it from more of a almost third party perspective later on down the line and wondering, like, was that the right thing? Yes. We have hindsight. Yeah. So time hindsight involves time, right? So time, yeah. you know, like like Goodfellas being the best movie ever, you know, takes time. Takes time for people to realize that. Yes. Yeah. And with, uh, you know, eventually when our uh, podcast is the call to prayer, it'll, it, you know, just taking time right now. It's, it's in its yeah. nascent stages. <laughs> I lift, therefore I am. And on we go. 2100, call to prayer. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys. So today Did we're going to talk. Me? <laughs> you think I'm funny? Funny like a clown? I have to find a way to get you to watch The Sopranos. I, I know. I know. Well, like, you know what? We you'll, have to. You know what? You'll find a way to do it is to you have to personally meet my wife and like and give her a full on two hour education. If you could. Uh, well, you probably have to walk with her because uh, I don't know if she'd be able to go face to face with you for a couple hours. Um, it's based on her, not you. It's her, not you. Um, and have a long walk and be like, listen, let me just go through all the things that you could, uh, you could get from this. If you could do that, I'm in. Otherwise I will be in the bathroom, you know, 30 minutes a day for the next, you know, two years, uh, just to kind of finish it all. I'm finishing the Americans and I'm, I'm even having a hard time, you know, fitting that in. I'm not a, 
I'm not the, the binge watcher, uh, you know, find any time of the day kind of thing. My wife and I have like, maybe it's down to like, as the girls get older, now it's down to like 45 minutes in the evening time where they're off and uh, getting prepared for bed or going to bed. And then they are gone, gone to bed. And then, you know, she's basically lying with me and uh, we're just watching something mindless, you know, um, until she falls asleep and leaves and goes in and then I really can try to hang on for 10 more minutes, but I'm out after that. So there you go. There's my time. Well, I, I can just imagine you like sitting in the bathroom, like legs going numb, like. <laughs> oh, they do multiple times, multiple times. Yeah. Multiple times. Well, I'll say this. If I ever have the opportunity to uh, meet Leanne in, uh, in person, I, I love going on log walks and I will, okay. I will, I will do my best to. We'll uh, do it so we'll do it i'll set it up somehow as like uh, he, doing some research on fitness and philosophy and just uh, embed it right away right from the get-go so there's this show you see <clears throat> and do you realize that in addition to everything else that enriches james life that this is going to be like see, a, a, a part i didn't even have to say it i didn't even have to say it but you're going in the right place right you're like how do i how do i tie in priorities Right. How do I tie in priorities to this lady uh, for uh, for I, w- I wouldn't start with like, <laughs> do you want what's best for James? <laughs> yeah, that's not the way we phrase it. <laughs> but for yeah. someone who considers Goodfellas and the, and the Godfather, I mean, yeah, I mean, oh, my gosh. Yeah, we'll, we'll figure it out. We'll figure OK, out. we will. We will we'll work on it. But I'm finishing the Americans and I'm really liking it. I'm not sure if you've watched it. I haven't, but I've heard really good things. Yeah. Um, as I mentioned before, I uh, listened to the podcast, the director, and just some of the things that they had to go through in the background scenes to make it happen. And the acting and the storyline, it was fantastic. So now that I had that preempted to watching the Americans, and of course, current, what's currently happening, oh man, great. Really great. Especially because it revisits all the Cold War stuff and right. um, revisits... Uh, you know, political ideology and, you know, uh, these deep underpinnings of Lenin's stuff. And yeah, it's really good. Really good. That's really cool. Yeah. I'll have to check that out. Yeah. All right. Uh, tie that one in, or should we just have like a cultural, we're going to turn this into culture and fitness. Just, we're going to have to have a double, double episode, you know? Hey, I mean, one, you know, I mean, I mean, you've listened to plenty of podcasts. I have too. like, you know, sometimes the riffing part is the, you know, but that's that's cool too oh for sure no yeah, i was man. just saying like let's well let's just see how we can tie this in now to uh the particular topic today of our the second half of our couplet well i mean we were throwing uh we were throwing plenty of different subjectivity bombs about kobe and uh goodfellas and what have you so that's right that's today right. we're going to talk about subjectivity all righty yeah which is like james said the second half of our couplet on objectivity and subjectivity so <clears throat> I think one of the things we're going to talk about today that's important is, um, you know, and a theme that runs along a lot of, you know, James, what you've talked about and what we've talked about on this podcast is um, lower, maybe lower order versions of subjectivity and maybe higher order versions of subjectivity um, and how those uh, play a role in our lives and in fitness. So I guess to start us off, um, subjectivity, lots of different ways to define it, but you know, of or relating to the unique perspective of the subject. How does, you know, um, this person perceive the world? How do they feel um, about a particular thing? What, what's the, 
sensory experience uh, going on in that particular person or those thoughts. Uh, it comes in degrees. It can be more or less subjective. Um, if objectivity involves something being true, irrespective of language, time, location, culture, religion, etc., subjectivity is just the opposite, right? And that's that's the spectrum, right? If you have the God's eye view, so to speak, over on one end of the spectrum, um, you know, me looking at my computer doing this podcast right now, feeling the, you know, fan circulating air, like that's hyper subjectivity, right? Like right mm-hmm. in that moment, that, that mm-hmm. perspective. Yeah. I like that. Uh, the, cause the way that I create a meaning based upon it from the start is it's uh, a lack of objective reality. So the way you just laid it out, if, if objectivism or objective reality is this, then subjectivity is not that like that's, that really helps me uh, understand it better you know providing like a polar uh comparison good i'm glad and i guess just to clarify there one could still very well say that you know there is an objective reality out there it's just that um uh how one it's it's really the perspective with which one perceives it yes yes yeah Mm -hmm. um we talked about last time about you know this is you know uh, a famous thing that enlightenment philosophers discussed a lot, you know, Descartes and Locke and Hume and others were wondering what, what are the things in the object, so to speak? Uh, you know, a lot of them settled on things like length and mass that are there, whether the lights are on or off or people are perceiving them. But of course, things like color and temperature would be things that, you know, uh, only beings with certain sensory capabilities could interpret atoms moving in such and such way uh, to, you know, so there's no such thing as, you know, at a ontological level, there's no such thing as red. There's no Uh such thing as ice being cold. That's, that's something that's being perceived by beings with sensory capacities to interpret, you know, a certain wavelength of light or a certain series of motions of atoms in the object. Yeah. 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 Do we have to go through like Latin scripture sanskrit in order to figure out how we came up with red being the choice for what we perceive the collection of those things that's a good question interesting little known fact i don't think i've ever mentioned this before i did a year of sanskrit in college boom man yeah i got lots to ask you on that one um, i was very interested in uh gosh buddhism and yeah you're going way back uh, to beginning of language and the starting of all of it down that route that's great but I don't know the answer to that question of why red. Okay. Yeah. But it's, mm-hmm. it is a good question. Mm. Um, objectivity is typically an ideal of scientific inquiry it can be an ideal of other things too. Um, you know, as we'll talk about later, maybe lawmaking and, um, you know, finding a consensus. Meanwhile, subjectivity seems to be more a, an ideal of art or culture, you know, the best, pieces of literature or entertainments very rarely strive for, you know, the God's eye view, so to speak, or just cold, hard, rational facts. What makes so many of these things um, beautiful and enriching and- Or perceived value. Yeah, exactly. Like the um, NFT, do you see the latest NFT sold for like 7.8 million? It's just this like head. I mean, again, that's, you know, uh, we said at the supper table the other night, but we had this conversation right on 
perceived value. So how, how does it get to being, to have that value, right? <clears throat> and Leanne would look at it and be like, <laughs> you know, but then <clears throat> I also said, well, if that, you know, kindles your interest, um, I showed her uh, Jackson Pollock's $21 million, yeah. you know, painting. And, uh, and, and to that, she was like, oh, wait now. So the other one was digital, but this one, there was that, you know, and she, and she was, you know, her point was like, well, human put the work into it. And I was like, well, it took him like a couple of hours and I can show you the video of what it looked like when he was putting it together, you know? And uh, to that, then now there's this, you know, again, there's opinion based upon the value of that particular thing. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, and that's, that's a great example of like, where friction has just completely, <laughs> you know, it's like, yeah. it's just kind of like, you know, uh, the highest bidder and like, what, what do you value? And there's, there's just no, uh, yeah. yeah. When they pass away, the value goes up. I mean, it, it right. you know, it's all kinds of things. Um, is it too early to tie in there too? Some of the stuff around, uh, I don't know why I always think about it. I think it came up in my mind when, uh, uh, Jamie Sillet and David, Pelchia, I think they were skaters, Canadian skaters, and there was a big brouhaha at the Olympics anyways, with this, you know, pair of skating, um, because there was some background politics and nefarious stuff going on with the judges. Um, and I, I stepped back, I was like, <laughs> well, the whole reason why we got out of trouble here is some one person's opinion <laughs> on what a twirl looked like, you know, and the scoring was all eradicated and changed up right at the end, everyone, you know, the people watching in Canada, the people watching in Russia, the people is like, what? Like, that's, that's not what we all saw, you know, <laughs> and we're not even experts in the judgment of that particular thing. Right. If you go back and watch it, it's a very interesting story. I think it either could be 30 for 30 or it's a documentary called bad sport, which curtails a whole bunch of different various things. But, you know, anyways, is that the same, is that where it falls in as well? The subjectivity and the issues around that? Yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. And I mean, there's, you know, like we said, there are gradations, you know, where maybe for an NFT or Jackson Pollock, it's kind of like almost purely on the side of like, there's really, we have no friction anymore. Like there are no rules. And then there's, you know, slide slightly to the right. And it's like, well, we have uh, maybe something like intersubjective objectivity where we can be like, you know, we've come up with these rules about this is what a, a, a nice twist should be, or this mm -hmm. is what a nice, uh, you know, whatever the different uh, moves are in uh, ice skating and, you know, ballet or different art forms where it's not really out there in the object per se, but, you know, different experts or uh, people who once participated in that activity have come up with a series of, uh, I mean, the term that's used a lot in, um, in philosophy is conventions, mm. conventions. So like um, you can, you can, set these as standards but then of course we have to like you were just saying in that example as i as i understand it is like wait this if i'm understanding what you said like this person did this amazing thing and here you are wondering about the minutiae of like what counts as a twist that that type thing yeah yeah so Oof. yeah yeah because i've heard you know lots of people create this you know even demarcation you know, the, there is some arguments you know um in the demarcation of sport around objectivity and subjectivity, right? So the, you know, um, I don't know, just give an example, you know, the, the ball goes through the hoop. Well, that's two points, right? You know, right. it's like, 
you know, uh, Kevin Durant missed a three, right? That they didn't, they didn't, uh, they lost to the Bucks in overtime the other night. <clears throat> um, he didn't get rewarded for two points <laughs> because he, he was a real nice attempt. You know what I mean? Like, so yeah, that's where, you know, some people create the argument of like, whenever there's an opportunity for this subjective measurement, you know, they're like, I'm not even in the conversation about sport and athleticism. Like it's, you know, and there's some good stuff inside there too, but um, that's, you know, for IF3 and what we're getting into over time. Um, and I think where we'll end towards the end of the conversation today for small people and subjectivity and measurement and, um, et cetera, for physical expression and physical education. Um, we do have some, you know, we're trying as good as possible to inject some of the stuff that came from snatch and clean and jerk testing. Um, and what the movement, you know, you're going to get scored based upon the lift, but there are some things that the lift has to look like, you know, it has to look like a certain way. And so, I mean, you don't get docked a whole lot of points, but anyways, we're getting into that and there's lots of challenges, of course, right. For that, but we all, we do it with the intention of, uh, safety and, and beautiful, beautiful expression, et cetera, you know? And so I understand also the challenges inside that. So you mean it's not just the bar going from the ground to overhead in any way possible? No, no, no. So it should be, uh, yeah, it should be interesting, right? Especially when you think about adding reps of it, it's like, you're going to get into the figure skating thing, right? So, you know, they did four quads, right? Four double axles or whatever. Um, and each one has its own, like, you know, repertoire of things you got to look at to make sure that it's good. Right. And it's not just, oh, that was 95 pounds. <laughs> right. Therefore, it's successful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I mean, you know, I think an important point that comes along with what you just said and bears on the whole discussion is that there are pros and cons to things being more objective and there are pros and cons to things being more subjective. Yeah. Um, in, in either scenario, you're not, you're not going to escape it. It's just a question of like finding, like you were saying, that, that balance of what um, is most relevant to that particular thing. Yes. Um, yep. you know, and like we were saying in, in like art and culture and stuff like that, I mean, precisely what captures people's imagination is usually like the hyper particularity. Like when you think of like Faulkner or James Joy, you know I mean? Like this person in this time and place yeah. mm-hmm. in this particular cultural setting. And of course there are universal themes that then get drawn out of that. Yeah. Um, but a lot of what draws people into that is the, um, the hyper particularity, the hyper subjectivity of like, what was this one person experiencing at this one time in this one place? And what was their unique perspective on that? Yes. Yes. So. William Faulkner, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Um, consciousness, you know, a, a very famous topic in philosophy would seem to be the paradigm of subjectivity where by definition, it's the view of the world from one particular time and place, as opposed to the view from nowhere. And of course, this is, you know, it's, it's famous in philosophy where people are like racking their brains, like, okay, over here, we've got like atoms bumping together according to like quantum mechanical laws and like how in the world does, you know, uh, taste and color and all, you know, all, all this stuff, this, this hyper subjectivity, where does arise from? And I know we've mentioned this before, but just to give people a, an idea of this, uh, you know, Thomas Nagel, uh, in, in his, uh, famous article, what is it like to be a bat? Um, there's also the, the Mary, the color scientist example where, 
uh, in the what is it like to be a bat example, they're talking about, you know, science could know every single possible thing there is to know about, you know, bat brains and bat flight and you name it, but not have the slightest idea of what it's like to be a bat. And in the, the Mary example, um, Mary, the color scientist, imagine someone who is colorblind, who knows literally everything there is to know about cones and rods and seeing color and, you know, the, you know, how the eyes work, um, you know, they're the most knowledgeable person on earth, but they're colorblind. Uh, and, and by colorblind, I don't just mean not seeing red and green, but like literally like could not see colors. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, she would not have one iota of an idea of what it is like, the quality of what it is like, the subjectivity of what it yeah. is like to see a color. Yeah. I mean, we still, after the big project of homo sapiens, we still don't have a really clear answer on what it's like to be human, let alone, you know, a bat or, you know, what red is. I mean, it doesn't, it doesn't mean that there's lots of great minds trying to think about that and lots of conversation back and forth, right? What is it like to be you? Oh, what's it like to be you? Well, let's talk about that. And, you know, stories and stories and stories and stories, you know, um, so that's a, that, that's where I get kind of like jammed up and uh, I'm just very, for my own self anyways, of dipping down the road of trying to figure out that answer. I think just the project of trying to figure out is a really, is really, uh, for me, it's admirable for my brain. Just try to see like, you know, what does it mean to be human? You know, the, the, the big arduous question, but I don't think we have an, what's your thoughts on that? I don't think we have an agreement on that. No, not at all. And I, you know, that's another famous prominent philosophy about like, you know, we assume because of external behaviors that what you're experiencing with pain or joy or anything mm -hmm. resembles my internal experience. Yeah. But of course we, we have zero access to that. Yeah. None whatsoever. Yeah. Um, so that really is. We're so scared. We're scared shitless, right. To recognize that everyone is just so hyper individualized of those perceptions. Right. Yeah. That's, that's the challenge you get into with this consciousness and individuality uniqueness of every human. I think. Yeah. I mean, what if someone, you know, uh, touching something, you know, for, for me, if I touch it, it feels like a little, uh, you know, sewing needle lightly touching my, uh, my finger and, you know, for another person, it's like a stabbing, you, you know what I mean? Yes. Like, yeah, for sure. Um, but they've just grown so accustomed to that, that it's like, Oh, that, yeah. you know what I mean? Like, that's yeah, it's like me like. cleaning 300 pounds, triple, you know, three in a row touch and go to me, me to me, that's easy. Right. To other people they may feel pain or uh, embarrassment or something, you know? Right. <laughs> you're so serious. Oh, it's because you're strong, James. Gee, I mean, you, you, I, that was, it, that made me feel good right there. Cause you actually did like, you could see the back and forth of like, you know, he may be, he may be joking, but I'm going to give him, I'm going to give it to him. And then, well, there is a, like, there's a, there's a 10% thought up there that it's possible, but I, I just want to, yeah. I saw every second counts. I know what I know what you got going. I saw multiple reps of failure at 155 in dirt. I saw that. <laughs> oh man. Um, I guess the last two things to mention before we launch into subjectivity and fitness are uh, you know, again, like we said, the pros and the cons, the good and the bad. So the good would be things like the unique perspective of the individual that could never be fully captured by science, quantification, objectivity. And I guess that's one thing I didn't say uh, that 
like I guess it was just right above there. Objectivity is typically, although not always, associated with quant quantity, whereas subjectivity is typically associated with quality. Yep. Not exclusively, but just generally. Yeah, those are no, those are good words to bucket for understanding quality and quantity for sure. Yeah, um, that's where we went last time into the conversation on nutrition and you know things like that. Uh, the debate, you know, it's like, almost like art and science, you know, the debate, but people just have a really hard time of holding both at the same time, right? You, right. you put them together. <laughs> it's like, oh, we can't, there's gotta be one way, you know? Right. Yeah. And then the bad side of it would be, you know, bias, superstition, narrow perspective, nepotism, um, you know, you know, Kierkegaard was famous for asking, is there a subjectivity that almost goes beyond objectivity? Because if not, you know, Abraham's just a murderer. Like that, that, that was his whole shtick. Like, so, you know, it, it can't be below that. It has to go beyond it. And like a similar thing here with subjectivity where there's like the lower order stuff that's like, no, I'm just going to cling to my beliefs no matter what. And I don't care what the data says. And then there's the higher order stuff that maybe, you know, captures deeper parts of our intuition and parts that, you know, go beyond what science can tell us that, you know, are maybe the most, some of the most important truths in, in life and, you know, things like that. Yeah. yeah, for sure. I want to double click again, back on the word, just to repeat that the uniqueness of the unique perspective, I think is what, is what, uh, uh, I think people have a big struggle with, and that's what, that, what, what makes subjectivity, the good of it. Right. I think that's what makes it uh, very challenging. Uh, for people who just may just sit in a lane where they just want to have answers and they want to have, you know, the, they want to have things correct and they want to have truths and it's into their essence, right? It's like, gosh, I have this sensitive sense maker machine that comes on that, you know, uh, that needs to make sense of everything that comes in front of you. And to those people, I would say, like, what scares you is the fact of the uniqueness, right? That's, that's the thing on the other side that it's, it's very unique to them. Um, and that is a, that's a perspective that, especially as coaches, if I could, you know, give any clinical pearls, um, I've grown as a person over time to recognize that, which has, you know, drowned me with, uh, empathy and the ability to talk to other people, which is, is very important. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I think, um, you know, even, you know, we're about to get into the fitness side of things and we were talking before the call about like health tech and things like that. And people, yeah. and I, I mean, I have absolutely fallen prey to this and, you know, try to do my best to correct it, but, um, you know, feeling like when you're to take an example from something that I've started reading more about and been interested in, you know, uh, breathing techniques and things like that. And, um, you know, with, um, more kind of ancient texts on the subject, it's more about, you know, the subjectivity and feeling it and, you know, getting in tune with your body. And then there's, you know, different things, different devices that will track your breath and, you know, see, well, how, how well are you doing and how well are you not? And, um, you know, there, there's something to be said for that sometimes, but also that, um, that siren call of objectivity when maybe it's not warranted. Do you know what I mean? Yep. Yeah, for sure. I think, would we, could we go like way out and say that, you know, pre-scientific era or, you know, let's call it, uh, you know, 1600s or the scientific boom, et cetera. Like we, we had to just rely on a lot of feeling and opinion based upon things, right? Where, you know, a thousand years ago, 
um, you know, vomiting what could have been thought of as like, you know, evil spirits, you know, coming out of someone, right. Or there's a reason for that. And this is the reason, you know? Um, so I, I just thought about the, just the point you made there that, which you didn't ask, but I just thought about how to, how to blend these things together for the fitness experience. Or as we get into that is possibly, um, you know, in principle and the start of a communication with someone, we definitely want to honor the aspect of feelings and opinions, right? We want to, we want to combine that. And then, and then like, just get them on board with being okay with how they feel as being important. Right. But then as they step into the process, you now, you know, just to be reduced in the storyline, you now need to provide some data, right? You need to have some objectivity inside of the relationship and inside of what, what we're planning to do. Right? right. And there's a lot of power to that. And that's, that's where I thought Robbie, like, but we didn't have that over time. You know, we, we probably, you know what I'm saying? We, we probably, well, we, well, we probably did, but it was like just different ways of looking at it and language, you know, um, like, look at that. You can lift the stone and that stone is obviously bigger than that stone. So it's, you know, so there's some measurement to it. And then I would say to finish that story as I'm experiencing, and I talk about for resisting entropy and living a, uh, a really physically expressed life. Um, you know, all the stuff that I do now is all based upon feeling there's, there's almost zero, you know, objectivity, um, uh, besides just, you know, a particular thing that you may be able to pin me on for a number I'm looking at or something that I'm seeing, you know what I'm saying? So there's right. probably this big movement through a relationship of honoring the feelings and then moving into data and then moving away from data into feelings for the full story. Yeah. That progression from like base intuition to science to art yes yes yeah yeah no i think that's a great point it made me think of a couple of things um you know one of the more interesting ones that i remember learning was you know what did physics do before timepieces like galileo had like sundials and pendulums you know do you know what i mean like yeah we didn't have this precision yeah um so we you know we didn't have this precision and to your point you know with vomiting and evil spirits like there is a lot of ways in which not having that precision led to superstition and wrong beliefs and stuff that's still with us today. However, mm-hmm. to take an example again from the, the you know, uh, for those who are interested, a really good book that I've been on my second round of is uh, James Nestor Breath. And, um, you know, he talks about how today with all our objectivity, you know, you ask a doctor about breathing, it's like, well, 20 breaths a minute, 10 breaths a minute through the nose, through the mouth, uh, doesn't really matter. You know, and then if you go back to these ancient texts, it's like, no, 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 no. Like there are certain ways to do it and certain feelings you should have and through the nose and, uh, you know, belly breath and, uh, you know, slower breathing. And so uh, there can, you know, like we were saying that there can be superstitions and other things that can arise from not having objectivity. There could actually be benefits, you know, I'm sure there are other examples besides this breath one, but where we've lost in our hunt for objectivity, something that people way before these instruments and measuring devices could tap into that we have now lost. Yes. Yeah. The, you know, it just goes back to preempt our conversation on the Buddhist uh, um, let's call it, you know, traditional Buddhist uh, um, scripture and thoughts and, and fundamentalism based upon Buddhism for what they would write of, uh, concepts of nirvana or concepts of even levitation, right? Um, but what what they're going after there, without any objective measurement of it, um, is this like real deeper connection, right? Deeper connection to themselves, i.e., through the breath. And then you get some of these readings that would say, 
oh yeah, they would take, you know, the breath down to like once or twice a minute, right? For these people who did these really, really deep levels of, uh, this is when scientific investigation came on board with it, right? The, I think it was like the um, 30s or 40s or 50s, or maybe late 1800s anyways, but they would just like create these measurements, right? Of these folks coming from the East into America and saying like, well, this is what we're doing, right? And uh, yeah, just, just a great connection there of what we previously talked about for um, these, uh, you know, yeah, just the, their, their feelings on how things were going about. But then if you look at it today, it's like, yeah, but those, those are like real good principles, you know, of uh, relaxation and mindfulness, et cetera. So anyhow, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, other little interesting side nugget related to that. Uh, in addition to doing Sanskrit, uh, have you ever heard of Robert Thurman? Yeah, this, uh, the book that I'm reading, uh, Evan Thompson's, uh, why I am not a Buddhist. Uh, he's talking about his personal story. The reason why I got into it is not because of the title, but I listened to him on a podcast and his personal story of having Robert Thurman, uh, stay with him up in the Northeast for a number of weeks and his family and, uh, the kind of stuff that he directed him towards, uh, uh, Asian philosophy or ancient Chinese philosophy, and then into, uh, Buddhism. So yes, that's my, that's my end to that particular name my first foray. Very cool. Yeah. So, uh, Uma Thurman's father, super unique dude, like personal friend of the Dalai Lama has a glass eye. So very, very unique. I like traveled to Tibet to become, um, you know, kind of a master in Tibetan Buddhism. And, uh, yeah, he was my professor in college for Buddhism. Dude, that's so cool. So that's was, cool. Uh, well, I think that's, a that'll be, a you know, text and offline conversation, I feel we're going to have uh, some good conversations on as I dig into this over the next little while. You know what I just thought of as we were saying that Buddhism and fitness, none of it matters. It's all folly. Let's do it. Next episode. <laughs> T-shirt. I lift. Therefore I am. I pace. Therefore I am. Yes. <clears throat> and then on the back, it's all folly. Yeah. <laughs> Small print. Small print. <laughs> All right. So let's and only in certain bit. light. <laughs> <laughs> like, if you know, do you know that there's a now um, there's number, numerous, you know, it's cottage industry pump, you know, being uh, gr grown here in the valley. I don't know if it's elsewhere. Um, these uh, paint shops are completely turning over their their vehicle paint shops into this new form of paint that are on vehicles now where based upon based upon the lighting on the vehicle and as it passes you it changes color well to your perception that's really cool numerous the stories, dude there's there's and which really freaks me out but i find super cool a lot of them are like you know, as you know with tesla i really think this is a whole other different one but i really think elon came up with these like basic five templates because he knew everyone was going to do this with the, with the threes and the whys, right? He, he knew people were going to be like, colors are nice. I'm getting that thing jacked up. <laughs> like they're going to be like coloring it and changing it. Anyways, in the Valley here, there's so many of them, so many of them. And they all now have that. I don't even know what the, how to, whatever it's called, like iridescent fluctuating colors. Right. I even saw a McLaren. Um, I see a number of them because they're just down the street here. Like it's, and I know the McLaren. So this one's like three, 3.2 million, 3.3 million, you know, as a vehicle, just to give you an idea. And I had that same paint job on it. Wow. Anyways, fascinating. Um, how do we get there? 
I think we were talking about subjectivity and perception. What? Yeah. How did how did we get there? Anyways. No, that actually that reminded me of. Uh, I think I mentioned this once before uh, on one of our episodes. There's a. It's not really a spoiler for Westworld, but anyway, season three. This I, I think the paint you were just talking about is a precursor to. Uh, they have like T-shirts where it just reveals how you feel on the outside. Like I, you know, I'm I can't believe we at this point we're so far in we haven't even thought of that one. That's how we got to that. We were talking about. Uh, it's all folly on the back of a t-shirt and you were oh right. right 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 yeah 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 there you go yeah but we've like we uh we do coaches shirts here occasionally and i've yet to do mine but we've but i actually like that paint idea we've joked that since my outfit 90 percent of the time is just like a plain Hanes black t-shirt so we've joked that like mine is gonna be like it'll just look like one butt with secret black paint that looks like if you were to take a black light to it, it would show oh, a different design. Nice. Well, you're yeah. obviously then going to have to change the lighting and the time of your classes. And, you know, yes. you can't just have the shirt that no one will ever see its other version of. Yes, that's true. Right? That's true. Or just Definitely. hope that you're going to end up being at a rave sometime. You're like, oh, dude, cool. I got one too. Yeah. Or people start to sweat and it reveals it's all folly. <laughs> well, <laughs> this is beautiful. It ties right back to our opening uh, in their initial foray into uh, into uh, uh, concerts. The Red Hot Chili Peppers used to do that, paint themselves, uh, basically come out close to being naked and with lights off and only certain kinds of lighting would allow people to see. And John, uh, you know, said as he because he went to watch them like six or seven times in a period of a year prior to him being in the band and he was like it was a it was like a very you know uh transcendental experience right like for two hours you're just jumping around and going crazy and you didn't even know where the chili, red hot chili peppers were just every now and then you'd see like <laughs> uh flea just banging away in, in in you know in these designs and paint that's on his skin um anyways i uh I know the reason why I mentioned that is the tie-in to colors. Yeah. A tube sock flailing in the wind, isn't that the uh, isn't that what they use to kind <laughs> the of? The only way we can make this work now, with our dips back and forth into culture and our previous conversation to start on John Fuentes or Fuentes or I can't pronounce the last name, um, is we gotta like take the take the bite and and look and see if we're gonna get uh, fined for having Red Hot Chili Peppers as the front end song. That would be awesome. Dun, 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 oh my gosh. Dun, 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 dun. That's got to be our front end, right? Yeah. Right? Gosh, that's got to be it. I, I'm almost Tell curious. Me, like, baby, what's the story? I mean, that's just perfect for fitness and philosophy. I agree. Like, I wonder if there's like a site I can check for like what the royalties would be on that. Like to get it legally. Hannah just asked me about that the other night. We did some research. Hotels.com was on the floor. They now have on NBA floors uh, uh, this TV embedded sponsors now. So like the hockey's been doing it for a couple of years, but they have these sponsors on the floor that are only seen by the viewer on TV. It's not seen by the people in the stands. Does that make sense? Like it's a it's a yeah. digital layout on the TV screen yeah. that's on the floor, right? Hotels.com had it. Huh. Anyways, and Hannah was like, I just wonder how much does it cost? We did our research. It was like 25 grand per game. To have that on there for the so 
Well, I just bring up that number and be like, ah. <laughs> it's know. like 25 grand per episode. Or like, oh, that's a cool song, but I don't know. You better do your work on TikTok. <laughs> yeah, I better really be hustling on TikTok. <laughs> we better be Robbie, putting, uh, Robbie's dancing in California. I didn't get to see my parents. <laughs> I'm just... <laughs> I've been dancing, creating content. <laughs> I'll just be, I'll just put, uh, there are some people who like, I mean, I wouldn't ever do this with our stuff, but like, they'll just put thirst traps at the beginning of their, like, just as like a one to two second clip to get people's attention. And then whoop, it switches to the, uh, what was that? <laughs> wait, what was that? Wait, uh, hello. And then, uh, yeah, that'll, oh. that'll, but yeah, we'll see if we can get the, uh, Goodness. The numbers up there. Goodness. Or maybe we can do a kind of a, I mean, I used to do this as a kid, actually. I'm, I'm back home and I actually have over on like the desk over here. My mom had kept a, uh, it got returned to sender, but a letter that I wrote to Joe Montana when I was younger. Oh man, that's so cool. How old so, were you? Um, probably seven or eight, something like that. Oh my gosh, dude, that was uh, so cool. But, you know, perhaps you and I could pretend that we were 70 year olds and write the red hot chili peppers and say... <laughs> Well, that wouldn't really work if we're saying we're doing it for a podcast, but you know, yeah. no. on. <laughs> I was thinking you should take that letter and put it on a t-shirt. That's what I think. That's pretty idea. cool. Yeah. That's pretty cool. So um yeah, I love we, that old we, stuff. I love that. Yeah, when we lived in uh we lived in Texas for a while and there was a I don't know if the restaurant's still there, but it was called Tony Roma's um not tony romo's tony romo's and uh they had um i like i met roger clemens troy aikman like they would just come and like sign stuff for kids and like i'm sure my mom could rattle off a couple others that i met but like yeah very cool that's so neat anywho was Was he jack then or was he non-jacked uh which one clemens i remember like I think yeah, I remember was thinking, clean the whole time. I mean, I don't know. We never know, but Clemens was. I remember a thick neck and like everyone knew that Clemens was was working it. Yeah. Yeah. Pineapple juice, breakfast of champions. <laughs> it's the digestive enzymes. <laughs> oh man. Yeah. So there were. Uh, three things we were looking to potentially discuss with subjectivity and fitness. And I'm, I'm happy to discuss whichever one you want to discuss first. So we're going to talk about how does subjectivity play a role in fitness? So things like RPE rate of perceived exertion, you know, let's say someone's um, on their cycle, for example, and they're hitting the same RPM that they were hitting a couple of weeks ago, uh, or they're, they're at a certain point in their cycle, I should say. And uh, you know, two weeks ago, it felt like such and such. And now it feels totally different. Um, and how that's, you know, unique insight into things, um, subjectivity in terms of like the coach and the client where the client comes in and says, Oh, I think I should be doing battle ropes and, uh, power cleans. And, you know, meanwhile, they can't, uh, do Romanian deadlift. Um, and then lastly, we're going to talk about, um, subjectivity and objectivity in relation to, um, making, you know, series of, uh, you know, curricula for, um, for, you know, child physical education. Yeah. Yeah. We'll start with, I think we, I tiptoed into it earlier, not to, you know, create a grandiose, my point of view on the answer to your question there, you know, but the, I think the, um, 
you know, it, it, so what the client feels does matter, you know, and I think we need to pause at that for just a second. Um, and it's only about a second. <laughs> it does matter though, you know, um, because to them that's real, right. And, and all the stories and all the stuff that they come into fitness with, right. Cause when you, when you quickly jump from, you know, well, your opinions matter, but you know, here's the truth. Um, you know, so what are you going to do with that? And this is what you're saying back to them, or that's how they're perceiving it. Right. So I think there just has to be this time of, you know, I think using the, uh, uh, menses is a great example. Um, you know, that, you know, I think just the, the education to that client on, you know, that, that is important. It is important that you sense that, right. It is important that you feel that, but you do need to know, and this is where the coach has to be great in their accuracy and assessment of like the current, let's call it energy in the room, right. To come back and say that does matter, but it matters uniquely to you at this point in time, in this context, right. But what's, what's the big picture in terms of where we're looking to go, like the RPM average looking to go up and et cetera, you know? And so I think that at least speaks to, speaks to uh, respect and speaks to um, uh, the client, you know, and allows them to say, yeah, you know, um, and, so, and so then Robbie, then I think that over time with multiple repetitions of that, they come to recognize this is a unique feeling for me and I'm going to respect that unique feeling for me. But I also have to be careful of allowing it to make all guided decisions, you know, and that's where I think that the avatar classic fitness coach can come in, right? They provide some objectivity and they provide some things that, you know, the client who is really saying, I feel this, you know, but I feel this, you know, I feel like I need to do power cleans and, <laughs> and power cleans and battle ropes is not easy shit, by the way. Anyways. Uh, but they, but that's what they're saying, right? It's like I, I, uh, I, I feel like you know, or this is my opinion. My opinion is that you know, coconut oil is going to kill me, you know, and um, and sorry, just to sway over from physicality. But I like I like going into the nutrition one, right? I could easily say, uh, you know, um, I think that I should be elated and happy all the time with my exercise program, right? So that's an opinion, right? And so that that's probably a little bit more challenging one because everyone's like, yeah, yeah, we all should be like that. It's like, well, what is arousal? What is stimulation? What is happiness? What is contentment? What's the scalar pieces of it? What I just did there is throw in behavior, exercise, nutrition, and the full cornucopia of what we have as tools to just say as a principal, maybe, listen, it does matter. It does matter, but only so much over time, you know, that's probably what probably what I'm, driving at there what's your thoughts on on the unification of that like what i mentioned earlier from the feeling to data to feeling what you call the intuition to science to art over time uh first thought is you forgot culmination in there so <laughs> crescendo crescendo <laughs> you know arousal crescendo combination um but i digress, I digress. um <laughs> I wrote it down. <laughs> no, I mean, I, I, I think that's uh, spot on. I mean, some, something that did come to mind that I, I mean, I routinely run into with nutrition coaching that I think actually, you know, bears on this and uh, interesting point that you were bringing up is this notion of like, 
the interesting thing about subjectivity as opposed to objectivity is that it it changes over time. I mean, presumably with the objective stuff, you're kind of gradually pulling out time more and more to the point where it becomes more static and changes less. But with subjectivity, this notion of it changing over time. So to use a nutrition example to then parlay into a fitness example, you know, it's a routine thing where it's like, oh, okay, vegetables taste gross, right? Um, or the idea of protein in the morning is gross. And then once you get off the, you know, hyper-stimulating food porn, essentially, mm-hmm. um, oh, wow, I didn't realize carrots tasted sweet or sweet potatoes tasted mm-hmm. sweet, or I feel so much more energy with protein. And then, you know, to bring it back to your fitness example, um, or, you know, the fitness discussion where, you know, someone's like, well, uh, I feel as though I should be dead after my workout, or I feel as though I need to be uh, doing the battle ropes or what have you. And then, okay, cool. Yeah. So, you know, my opinion is we're not doing enough Metcons. Right. Exactly. Like, you know, sit with that initially and then like, oh, I get it now. Like over time, like that, that subjectivity can change. And that's, you're right. It's this delicate dance as a coach in the moment of like, I hear you. Mm-hmm. I respect what you're saying. Mm-hmm. Um, wait. Yeah. Well, this wait. is, man, that's the, gosh, that's the big one. And I think it's probably just due to, uh, you know, being a current cultural topic that is somewhat important is, is uh, uh, two areas. And I'm going to go back and forth with something to think about is the struggle though, for coaches in regards to having a very hard time of allowing people to wait, because there's so many options, you know, uh, Robbie of, people doing the intense stuff or, or going forward, whatever, and getting these objective measurable results faster and all their friends have done it, you know, so that, that your comment sounds super simple Wait, Gosh, there's a lot of, there's a lot of friction <laughs> inside of the weight, you know, oh, absolutely. Uh, and you could, you could, uh, you know, one, one good area that I've been, you know, just on the periphery looking into is, uh, um, uh, gender affirmation or identity, uh, uh, dysphoria, or, um, just young people having some, you know, big social struggles today. And, um, you know, the, it's the same line of thinking, you know, as an outside perspective, looking in, you know, the, uh, you know, a lot of the adults in the room, uh, would be saying things like, well, take, take their feelings and opinions into consideration. We really want to care about that. Um, but wait it out, like just, just give it time, right? Give it time and let's see what we can do at this point in time to, to see exactly how we can just, you know, allow this waiting process to occur. And maybe something at the end will lead to, you know, some, some healthy outcomes, let's say, um, and I, I see both of those in the same, like, if, as I step back, I see both of them as a big, big, massive challenge. And let's go back to the fitness one. Um, I'm not sure if you have any other, you know, thoughts on that of your simple, uh, but powerful statement of weight. Oh, yeah. I mean, you're, but you're exactly right. I mean, no one's, or, you know, very few, I mean, I know the Shaolin temple still exists, but I mean, very few people are checking into the monastery for, you know what I mean? Like for like 30 years to long, learn Kung Fu and like, you know, this is the, this is the tale as old as time about the master and the students. It's like, ah, oh, I want to, I want to do this. I want to do this. Was it 30 the... years? Uh, that, that's just the number I made up. Uh, but, but it must've came from something subconsciously. Perhaps. I mean, I, yeah, I maybe cause I, cause you know why I'm just hesitating on that as soon as you said, it. I mean, that's the, that's the coaching mastery timeline. 
Okay. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I mean, it, 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 I know it's a significant period of time, but you know, uh, but just like you were saying with coaching mastery or really, you know, academia or anything, you know, it, it, it's, the tale is old as time about like, it just, it, 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 it takes time and the master has to say to the student, like, weight and this is delicate balance between you know the student being eager and the master saying oh you'll 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 see this um but to your point yeah i mean it it sounds simple and easy enough to say wait but when you have all these different things that you can go around and experience now the the flip side of that of course is that and i've seen this and you probably have seen it too you know people eventually tire themselves out it's like oh yeah i tried this flavor of the day and that flavor of the day and that flavor of the day and then like oops i guess they were i guess they were right yeah. Not always, but sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. And again, that, that, that's where the, um, let's take the fitness one. Cause the other aforementioned topic would be a little uncomfortable, I think to get into for, for that particular thing, but the, the, the flavor of the day inside of fitness, this is the, again, the biggest issue. It still may lead to better objective measures. You know what I'm saying? Like, and uh, let me, let me back up. If you're not, if you're not getting me on that, or the listeners would understand that I, I use the, you know, I, I don't know if you remember me mentioning that too, right? You take a thousand people, you put them through the OPEX method, you take a thousand people, put them through the high intense method, right? And remember, I talked about on the graph, like, you know, if we were to objectively measure over time, these areas of like what we call physical potential and improvements towards that, right? If we stopped after three years, who's on top for all 10 of them, right? It's the high intense model, right? On all measures, right? Well-being, you can make them objective and subjective, right? <clears throat> so that's the, again, just making mention of it, that, that this is the struggle, <clears throat> or one of the big struggles, excuse me, um, is all those things that take a whole lot of time <laughs> to get to the, your, to get to the objective answer, right? <clears throat> Around what we consider, what we're considering vitality, or what do we consider, you know, a long, long life, long, well-lived life, yeah, no, I, I would agree with that. And I mean, you know, I, I think, yeah, there's, there's uh, the mirage, obviously, that we would both agree where there can be seemingly objective markers that improve. Um, but then, of course, you're, I, I think I also agree with what you said as well, that there are, there are actual... Oh, there definitely is. There are definitely objective markers um, taken over a shorter period of time. Yeah. And then it kind of gets into a question that, you know, comes up in finances that's similar. It's like, okay, yeah, there may be some individual stocks that get you a better gain over three years now talk to me about 30. Yeah. Yeah. You know, index, index funds, you know, you know what I mean? For like, sure. No, I, like listen, that, yeah. I love the, I love the examples. I'm just making mention and I appreciate the example because then clients can think about it in a different way too. And they're like, yeah, maybe I can explain that to a client who may understand it, you know, in that way. Um, yeah. I mean, just eat a whole ton of less food, right. And work really hard. You know, you want weight loss. <laughs> that's, that's the simple answer, right? but we've left out a plethora of other things on the definition of what healthy is. Right. So that's where the, <clears throat> yeah. Anyways, I just uh, want to pour one out for all the, uh, all the coaches that got lost in that one <laughs> that were like, Oh, I can't do it. You know, can't wait it out. Can't stick it out. Can't do the hard one. Yeah. No, it's, 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 it's hard uh, to be sure. Um, yeah. And like you said, there are so many different options where people can putter around and, you know, it's certainly not for everyone, but I mean, I, I have noticed this with some people where like, like I said, you know, it's, it's kind of like, uh, I'm trying to think of a good analogy, but just, you know, 
someone's like, oh, I'm, you know, I, I guess with uh, junk food, it's like, oh, I'm just going to, you know, go around and just eat whatever I want. And like at a certain point, people just tire out of that. So similarly here, it's where it's like, I tried this thing and I petered out. I tried that thing and I petered out. And it's like, you know, eventually you realize, well, I got to go for a longer term approach. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. Um, the tech one. What did you that? have? You had, remember, you had an idea on just discussing uh, if we just want to spend a few minutes on that, the tech, and then we can go to uh, young policies you know, for education. Yeah. Yeah. No, like I, the I, tech I, area. Yeah. Yeah. And so, I mean, there's especially no... for modernity, right? And the lack of intuition. I think it may feel into what we talked about for intuition versus science versus art but yeah i mean there's really no end these days and i mean i can only imagine what it's going to be like 10 20 30 years in the future of different health tech devices a number of which are you know cool and useful and helpful um and can provide you know interesting data um and i guess really two questions come up one is you know just because there's data behind something doesn't mean it's meaningful, of course, just because it generates a number as a result of you doing something doesn't mean that number is worth anything, of course, paying attention to. But then the second thing related to subjectivity and objectivity is, is there anything being lost there? Um, You know, focusing too heavily on like what your whoop recovery score is, do you know what I mean? That, that, that type of stuff, as opposed to how you are, um, feeling in that that moment with health tech so yeah i mean i uh i'll I'll try not to be heavy-handed on it because i generally am that way for multiple reasons that are that are outside this particular topic or approaching it for this particular way but i think that um there can still be i guess objective measurement and maybe maybe my words i need to interchange my words that you can help me with that for people over time but i still think that there you could have someone go through a fitness journey and, um, and be intuitive uh, right from the get-go as the most important thing that they should focus on. Cause we, we would, I would say I'm being generalized here, but you know, how you're feeling throughout the day, right. Your mental acuity. And I'll give you some ideas to what that may feel like, just my perspective on it. You know, that's a real good starter, right? Your assessment of this like mental acuity and your energy levels. We talk very loosely about that, right? And so therein comes the question, well, what happens if there was a, it was there, there was a computer that could actually measure that. And there was all these people telling you, oh, this is how we measure mental acuity, right? It's a, it's a continuous glucose monitor, right? And so you just put that on and that's going to be the answer, right? And then you, and then you work everything around what that score is. My point there being that it's probably more individualized and unique to allow that person to subjectively figure out, you know, how things are. And then again, use the coach to be like, well, I was, I was sensing this, is this what we're talking about here? And the coach is like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Continue, continue, you know, and they develop these feelings and more feelings over time where even to the point where I think that, you know, as they're growing as a client in this journey, and then I see this, you know, data come up in our previous conversation where science fits in. I think that could just be like just looking at your crap in the toilet or going to sleep, know what time it was when you went to sleep, waking up, seeing the time and having an objective measure of that time you went to sleep. You know what I mean? That's the data. That's objective scoring, right? Um, At that point in time. But I think that Robbie allows the base support of intuition to lead to this scientific process um, in that shape and form. 
And then I'll finish it off by saying, and in the end result, you don't need any data because it, to resist entropy over time, it has to be a lot on feel, right? So that I'm being a purist on that, but that's where I generally fall into it um, for just the, the you know, I, I just think it when people to, to say what I use as a coach tip, right? When people strap on the whoop monitor, you, you, you strap off of intuition. That's what, that's what happens. Um, and, and I think that gets, that can get a lot of people into trouble. So I'll just stop there to see if there's, you have any more thoughts to change my language on it. <clears throat> so you're telling people to remove their strap-ons. Is that <laughs> man, I'm, I'm coming culmination. with the one. Yeah. Culmination. But I'll try to fit it in the next point. <laughs> no, I mean, I, I would generally tend to agree. I, I do think, um, you know, this is probably partly at least my philosophy background. I, I mean, obviously there's a tremendous role for subjectivity, but, you know, obviously it's kind of the famous thing in philosophy that subjectivity sometimes leads us astray. I, I do think as, I do think some of these things can be a useful corrective in certain cases, but that that's precisely the point is that they're corrective and they're not meant to be a long-term solution. Like, of course, if all the BLGs are in place and otherwise someone is healthy, they shouldn't need a CGM, but like, you know, when someone's like, Oh, I eat like dog shit. I don't, I don't feel anything. You know, like you don't feel your biochemistry. Do you know what I mean? Like some, some, sometimes for some people, not, not always, I mean, you know, if someone else is eating the same way, they might feel like dog shit, but I've had it where people are just literally eating, you know, processed food all the time. They feel, Oh, I feel great. And they, they don't know any different, right. They, they don't, they don't have that other perception. So I feel like sometimes, whether it's a Dutch test showing someone like, no, you're burning the candle at both ends at, you know, an aura whoop, but like, oh no, you have a 13 HRV at age, you know, 25 um, or, you know, CGM, like, hey, your stuff is spiking to 180 after that donut. Like, it's certainly not the be all and end all. It is, it is certainly not meant to be a long-term solution. Um, but I do feel like sometimes that can provide insight that, just isn't being gleaned um, from their experience, even though it, it should be. And partly because maybe they're telling themselves these stories about like, oh, no, I'm not really that stressed or, oh, no, I feel great or, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll power through. So that's, that's sometimes where I can see the use for it. But again, I, I think you're right that like intuition and subjectivity ultimately are, are going to reign supreme, but that's where I can maybe see some use for the objectivity that they can provide. Yeah. The, uh, yeah, you raise a good point. There are two things to that though. The, when I've put people through that myself, I can't, I can't give you, I can't give you one example where the definition of success long-term was good. Uh, so clarify me, that for me. Yeah. So the, your exact point, and I'll have to, I'd have to go back and give you some avatar examples. Right. But let's just say providing diagnostics to get people to quote unquote, wake up to the fact that they can see things more clearly with that objective measurement than they're saying they're seeing in perception. Right. The long-term, the long-term effect of that has been 0% in regards to success. Hmm. 0%. So, and, and that's not like three people. Right. That's a lot of people. So that's always the point of what I, especially when you, when you, cause you know, in nutrition, 
it seems like that's a good way, right? It seems like that is good, Dave. When that gets stressed out, it never works. Now, I should be careful of that. It never worked for me, right? It never worked for me when I when I took took that angle. Secondly, you know, uh, we can't only just as a principle of you know we can't only silo nutrition and perceptions on nutrition, right? Uh, in that conversation. Because to that, I would say, okay, so you're trying to, you know, because the thing I would go back and forth with that particular avatar was like, yeah, but you can't walk upstairs. That's an objective measurement, right? So, you know, I, sure, you, 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 know, you say, say, still say you feel great on that particular lifestyle that you're doing. But uh, when it comes to physicality, you're getting weaker and you're getting less capacity. Do you know what I'm saying? So that, that's where physicality and behaviors have to be inside of that, that uh, conversation if I'm making sense of just siloing yeah. nutrition in regards to its perception. But I am agreeing with the fact that there's a ton of people out there who I would say are really unconscious of like, they're not intentionally using that trope, right. Of saying like, Oh, I can eat this way and I feel great. I don't think they're, they have that, that intention of like trying to pull one over on it. I think that's actually their perception. Right. Yeah. They're like, no, I'm telling you, this is the way it works. And when I've tried to be like, oh, okay, well, hmm, you know, I'm background thinking, what can I do, you know, as an assessment here uh, from any diagnostics that I've pulled out, and I've been through a plethora of them, even, you know, Dick and Weatherby's uh, terrain analysis, cheap terrain analysis in my office, um, and it didn't work. It didn't work. Um, they, because then they eventually over time for multiple different reasons, I have to go into case studies of it, but just worked other angles, right, to make it work for them. Um, huh. But it's not disregarding your point, which is really clear, clear for people to see. There is a lot of people who will be presented in front of you who will have that perception, right? The, this, is not the, this is not the way it is, but extreme case. Yeah, I eat like they don't say it. I eat like shit and I feel fucking great, right? So, so, so what are you going to tell me about my mental acuity and my energy? You know what I'm right. saying? Yeah, that's going to happen, right? And I agree with you on that. It's, it's going to happen a lot. Um, yeah. And I, I mean, I appreciate that perspective. And I have, I have two thoughts there. I mean, one, one thing that, you know, obviously, as we both know from the functional medicine world, and I, I do think is important for long-term health, like so many things about our biochemistry do not rise to the level of symptoms until it's too late. So whether it's, you know, a blood test or what have you, like there are certain things that can be really fucked up in the blood, whether it's autoimmunity or what have you, like long before it reaches the level of symptoms. So that's, that's one place where that can be useful. The second one that I'm thinking of that I'm just curious your perspective on going back to like physical exertion, you know, I, I can think of at least a couple of clients who, um, you know, superstars academically, you know, in their respective like law school and business school, crushing it in the gym, you know, in body, fantastic, good digestion, you know, ELGs, habits, all the rest of that stuff. And you slap on uh, an aura or a whoop and their HRV is consistently 25 at, uh, you know, age 23. Mm -hmm. that, yeah, I mean, that, I mean, I'd, I'd be curious your thoughts there, but that, that's kind of where I wonder, you know, like, hey, is this now telling you like you're burning the candle at both ends in a way in which you might not have seen before because, you, you know what I mean? Yeah. Oh, for sure. I, I can tie it into what you just mentioned there because I wanted to back up and say, that's some of the things that like with FTN that you probably experienced too. It's very tough to silo any of those things. I just wanted to like go back to that, right. That 
I think that I think the strength of FDN, like I always told Reed, is like your best FDN practitioner is going to be a personal trainer. It's going to be someone who knows physicality and who knows good behaviors, right? But guess who shows up to be instructed for FDN? People that don't truly believe in great movement or truly believe in behaviors as well, being a part of the entire fitness per, per, perspective, right? And I don't mean to sound, you know, uh, you know, uh, incorrectly around what I think the, the people are that being there, but they're not. They're, they're less and less trainers showing up. And there's a whole bunch of other politics to that. But what you have in strength, Robbie, just to replay on that point, you have the tools of behavior modification as well as physicality in your pocket, which makes us have to remember that, yeah, the diagnostics in that, in that siloing of nutrition, right, is really important, but we got to remember that we have multiple tools and that's what helps when we see these things take place, right? Um, so I just wanted to make mention of that just to kind of have a kumbaya moment that it's the strength of all those areas that provide some movement. Um, on the HRB one, but does, it does tie into that your classic example had it numerous times before. I actually found this when I started, we put a bunch of CrossFit athletes um, through Joel Jameson's old versions of measurement of that, right? After we saw the, the complexities and the cost in the late 2000s, 2007, uh, eight, uh, my doctor, you know, I was doing a HRV per weekly, but the real old diagnosis of it, right? Line the bed, 30 minutes, do the full thing. And in, in the conversations on that, and then he was doing a whole bunch of data collection on a number of people, right? All of his clients who weren't always like really messed up and, you know, they were healthy people or a lot of healthy people just trying to quote unquote optimize, right? Um, and then I took a whole swat of individuals and we saw a lot of that, quote unquote, all the shit that you would just, you know, observe people not knowing the person or listening, right? But observe, observe their food profile, observe their work capacity, observe them on embody, look at their, look at their shit. And then their HRV in how we determined what was good or bad there was horse shit, right? But this just allowed, again, the strength of not really knowing what is happening internally. You know, the HRV is only like that, like, scoring of this objective measurement as to, uh, you know, as to what's going on, right? So that's a positive, I would agree, a positive insight um, that adds to, again, our prescription, round it out. But to get to the bottom of this, um, where we lacked as fitness professionals and my doctor lacked was the ability to, to uh, as I like to say, you know, as technicians in the psychological and cognitive behavioral route, we're the shits. <laughs> like we really, we're not, I, I, I shouldn't say it that way. We're just not the best. Like we, we try our best, but we're not the best. Right. And as you know, I'm sure you can appreciate that. Right. The, the clinical psychological route on the extreme end is very, very complex, right. Very complex in the skills you need and the tools. And we just simply say this, right. CCP. Well, we believe in cognitive behavioral therapy and taking care for someone and things will just work out. It's like, <laughs> What happens when you get that HRV and this person looks like that? And that's my point, right? There's a lot psychologically happening in the system of the enteric nervous system and what's going on and this stuff that gets explained, you know, expressed out as measurement that you're going to do a lot of like, man, this is interesting. So to round it all back around, the objective measurement of that is really important. It's really important, right? To see that and to let's, let's, argue against our point of only subjectivity, this is some areas where, quote unquote, 
there has to be some objective measurement for those particular people to kind of give them some instances that there's another thing going on. And that's where maybe the psychological, cognitive, emotional areas of improvement for these individuals is something that you as coaches may come to understand like I did. It's like, just some of that shit's out of my lane. Like it's just too difficult. And so I'm just going to lean into nutrition and, and exercise and kind of balance things out and do the best we can, you know? Sorry, that was lengthy, but that's, that's the way I saw that connecting. No, no, no. I mean, I, I, I agree with that. And um, yeah, I, I think it definitely is a balance. And again, not to say that HRV or Dutch test or really, I mean, all, all of these things, um, you know, all of these things, you know, Reed always used to have a saying like, you know, the tests will change, but principles will stay the same. Like um, all these different markers will change and, you know, become better or worse over time. And they're all just the map, not the territory. Um, but there, there are, there are certain ones that, you know, it's kind of like, oh, hey, are we heading for like a brick wall? <laughs> Even though it seems like things are fine, mm-hmm. that, 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 that can be, uh, can be useful. And going back to the point about like, you know, better objective markers over three years versus 30 years. Like, you know, it seems like these objective markers, the in-body and, you know, the, the poop and the, you know, uh, you know, um, weights and things like that are all better, but like, oh, we found this new marker. That's like, again, it's not the end all be all, but it's like, oh, what's going on with the nervous system that this is happening. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I like that because it does tie back to what you mentioned previously if you stretch it out further and further for those avatars, I think without any, any diagnosis, we would come to some conclusion on, you know, what they need to do to create some changes. So I just think about, you know, a generalized max physical potential improvements, right? So if you just track this stuff over time, you know, maybe there's going to be a stalling, right? For two years when your brain is like, you shouldn't be stalling right now. You see that? So this, and it's like, I don't need to measure your HRV. You're still lean and your digestion's great. And you're still crushing in the gym but you stopped crushing in the gym for two years. See what I'm saying? So there's, and you're like, well, but I heard James talk about, you know, peak physical potential from 30 to 40 years of age. And I'm not seeing that. So what could be the issue you see? So, so now you use that objective long-term score, right. Of what we're, what we're calling potential. But again, it's challenging, challenging to do that. Challenge oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so so that, that, that's a, that's a great angle. I, I didn't think we'd dig into it on that that angle, but that was, uh, that was really helpful. Yeah, no, I really, I really enjoyed that. And I, yeah, I would, I would generally agree with you that, you know, the subjectivity and the intuition is probably the most important part. And a lot of, a lot of the stuff that is out there, not always, but a lot of times is really a corrective to the fact that like, well, we aren't engaging in daily physical activity and BLGs and and, Mm -hmm. and things like that, things like a CGM and what have you. Yeah. Um, so the last topic we were going to discuss today uh, with regard to subjectivity and to a certain extent objectivity is uh, fitness policy and education for children. So just to do kind of a, a short little uh, primer on a topic that we talked about in the Liberty and Fitness episode, um, a basic idea here with any sort of like law or public policy that you would create is it, you know, to take an extreme and kind of silly example, you know, uh, Jewish people are 5% of the population, a uh, very small percent. And if they said, okay, well, everyone else shouldn't be eating pork, right? Uh, or you, you, you could take other examples from other religions or what have you, or like, you know, uh, Sunday is the day of rest. So, um, you know, 
uh, store should be closed, things like that, where when you live in a modern democratic pluralistic society, it's not just enough for one group to feel one way. Mm-hmm. There has to be, oh, hey, guess what? You can't use your cell phone in your car because there's objective scientific repeatable data showing that this, you know, leads to poor outcomes and, you know, drunk driving and, and things like that, or this actually causes harm. So with, um, you know, fitness policy and education for children, we run into this thing where on the one hand, we have these groups with all these different sort of subjective interpretations of what, um, you know, physical culture should look like. Should, should kids even, you know, there, there are certain parents I, I'm sure that are like, no, it's just the brain, you know, it's just, uh, it's just uh, books and stuff like that. Why do they even need physical culture? And then others who are, you know, really upset about recess going away. And then what objectivity can we present to then create fitness policy? Because at the end of the day, and again, in a more modern democratic society, not everyone's going to be happy. That's just mm-hmm. the nature of the game. So like, how do you, how do you balance those things? So um, yeah, that's kind of a jumping off point for that's a, that's a fantastic one. And I also like the word short because that it could be very lengthy and I didn't know the timing of it. And for, for the time for today, I'll make it just kind of short as to why I wanted to put it in there. I thought the subjectivity component that you just laid out, uh, is a great way to just know that we're going to get into some of those areas. Um, the reason why this did come up is I thought it was interesting because I just have been thinking and I'm indirectly involved in that as a personal level, as an educator level, and as a, you know, a, a pseudo policymaker for that, let's call it for the public's version of physical expression and how that, because when you tiptoe into that, as you know, with the concepts of autonomy and freedom, physical sovereignty, et cetera, it does become a cosmopolitan or global conversation, right? It's not just, it's not just, you know, uh, Scottsdale in Arizona. It's, it's a, it's a bigger thing, right? And you're, you're going to fall into these areas that, you know, in the, in the reformation process for discovering, you know, physical expression, how it's taught with kids, a lot of the times when coaches end up going to either public institutions or private institutions for young people and talk about this, uh, their biggest questions are, and I wrote them down as being the questions you get back, how much is this going to cost? How are you going to test and measure individuals, young individuals? And how hard is this going to be? going to be to change from our current from our current stuff so you can see the reformation process is going to be so difficult right so difficult not even speaking about the subjectivity inside of it so principle wise for young people in movement and this is really the area that i wanted to kind of you know get your you know thoughts on is the uh the the you know everyone wants to test and everyone wants a measurement but really the expression, the expression of movement and how good that was, how effective it was, et cetera, is very, very subjective for what we have as, as the idea, right? For, so to be super generalized, to start the process there of seeing the subjectivity inside of it, you know, I want, I want 90 minutes. So just as a, as a conceptual idea, right? I want 90 minutes a day in every public institution for free physical movement, where there's going to be a lot of shit done in the 90 minutes, but it's and, and there could be some learning of things. You know, I would love to see them learning about particular kind of patterns that are human movement, and then creativity and in pacing and sustainable activities as well. Um, but but it's very diff, it's very challenging to propose that concept to the to the education system, right? For those questions, right? 
what's the cost of this? How are we going to measure it and test it? And how, how hard is it going to be to change from our current quote unquote movement inventory for kids, which is basically moving closer and closer to zero. So within that, you can see that uh, there's a lot, there's a lot of realistic challenges, right? Uh, of saying that, uh, you know, movement and free movement is very subjective, you know, very subjective, but we're just, we're so hard. We, it's hard for us, Robbie, I think this could be a challenge here. It's hard for us to see the lens of the child too, right? We just want to create like a, I guess, so I guess we want to say we want to create like a big person model of it being, you know, how are we going to determine its effectiveness? We're going to measure, you know, that's our answer to, to some of those things. But for young people, there's a lot of uh, subjectivity inside of it. Um, and and I'll, that's, that's basically the, just a point I wanted to make with regards to kind of open it up to people just moving and moving consistently and getting it, getting it down path and getting it as consistent and then realizing over time, here they are in grade seven and every kid is excited to do physical expression, you know, for 90 minutes every day. And they don't even know why they oh, we just do it. This is what we do, right? We move around and we, we do all these things. And then in grade, you know, nine, 10, 11, and 12, they're like, hmm, interesting. We were doing all these patterns and this is what pacing is. And this is, you know, and then they eventually know how to put together their own program by the time they're in grade 12. Um, so in there, I finished the story with context on time that maybe as their brain, because I mean, think about, uh, I was just trying to think about my, the differences in my girls that I noticed significantly in the questions that were asked, right? When Chloe was nine and Hannah was 12, those were, you know, stark different humans there, right? Where the 12 year old is, is like, we're having a little more conversation as an example on politics, right? And the nine year old is like, well, who is that person? You know what I mean? Why, why would they do that? Why would they, you know? And so you could see that like this, knowing these big abstract concepts, I, I think we've also forget about that, right? What's the lens of the child in regards to how they're learning things? And I think it just, just through repetition and subjectivity would be downloaded a whole lot better, right? Like, how did that feel? Oh, that was great. Excellent. You know, let's move on to math. And then the next day is the same thing, right? What did you experience today? How was your feelings? You know, et cetera. And nowhere in there that I was like, did you do two more pushups today? Did you run a little bit further? Do you see what I'm saying? So anyways, that was my whole point I wanted to inject inside of this for the subjectivity conversation. And do you have any stuff from that that uh, you can add? Uh, I, I mean, I, I think, I mean, one of the things that I really took from that is just a, a totally different objectivity, subjectivity lens than okay. the one I was suggesting, which I think is great, uh, actually, and just kind of a different lens on it. So initially I was saying something about like, there's this push and pull between objectivity and subjectivity where like, you know, what things scientifically should kids be doing? And then, you know, subjectively what do parents think, but the interesting one that you brought up is, you know, I think this, probably this push and pull that, that, you know, schools or public institutions have to go through of like, objectively, how do we even get funding for this? If we don't show better outcomes, whatever that is, you know, more push-ups, jumping higher satisfaction, what have you. And then just, just the very nature of, you know, what's ideal for kids, which is just like play, you know, pure subjectivity, pure, like just moving around, you know, you know, portal, like, you know, just navigating, locomoting, moving through nature. And um, yeah, how do you, yeah, how do you balance those two? You know, and e even you saying like, I mean, talk about an ideal of like 90 minutes, but even saying like, 
those are the constraints, right? We have to say a time. I mean, it's not gonna be eight hours a day. Exactly. We have to constrain it somehow. Yeah. So like mm-hmm. balancing that between, which I'm sure is way more than most kids are getting, you know, formally uh, these days, but like balancing that with, uh, you know, what the ideal is. Yeah. That really made me think quite a bit. Yeah. Yeah. So that was my, uh, you know, cause also um, I said it was personal, but I, I mean that in that, um, I'm really interested in that, you know, for the concept of, um, you know, education, and it allows me to dig into this area of, um, you know, knowledge and, and how do you, how do you, you know, like seep knowledge into the most people, right? And, um, and I think some of those roots are going to have to be through some of these challenges of, of some of these subjective roots, really, it's going to have to be, I believe, getting people on board with that, right? Yeah. I mean, I think a lot of it goes back to, I mean, I'm sure you've read and seen things about like our current model of education and where it came from and just these notions of like, well, you know, uh, for a lot of different things, there's supposed to be a purpose, like to download this amount of knowledge. And I'm trying to think if there's an analog in school these days, maybe art class or something like that, or music, but even that's kind of going away of like Mm -hmm. creativity without a defined measurable outcome. Do you know what I mean? Mm Mm-hmm. Um, and how that would even get, um, you know, and then you run into the problem of funding and how do we know if it's, so it's this very, how do you get a utilitarian system, which is very much measured in outcomes and, you know, things like that to accommodate something where we're talking about intrinsic worth and value that goes yeah. beyond any sort of outcome. Yeah, no, that's a, that's a great, to- that's a great topic. Uh, you, you, you're indirectly asking something that would that uh, probably, you know, you know, as I think about it, it's probably a 60 minute thought or a 60 minute answer based upon your thoughts where I've, where I've been. Um, and uh, to that, I would just say like, there's, you know, I guess the thing we, we could say is like, well, how has, how has the, the project been working out? I think that's a really simple way to go, you know, real quick way to go, like do a generalized measurement, use your objectivity, right? generalized measurement over time and how are things been working out and i would always pull out those things of this concept of uh contentment you know for people when they're in their early 20s and uh you know what's the what's the general health of these individuals in objective measurements right and when you look at those two things i think that should be a very simple one you know but i generally don't like to go on that one i don't like to use it as the intentions of creating change but um, whatever has been done, you know, I'm just, I'm just giving you an example, focusing on STEM and focusing on other areas inside of the education process. Um, how has that been working out? You know, how has that been working out? You know, I don't know for those two things that I just mentioned, right. For yeah. a satisfaction, contentment at early twenties and general health measures. No bueno, no bueno. So, you know, this, so then you would say, well, you know, do we want to talk about another option? <laughs> you know, do we want to talk about these other things? You know, do we want to bring in this subjective component for a movement and allow that to play out for 30 years and just see it as a as a big grandiose project to see how helpful it will be, right? As opposed to just Michelle Obama saying, oh, this is what our food should be and this is what we should do for movement, right? Right. It just circles back to a political ideology and he never gets anything done, you know? For our world listeners, uh, she was the former first lady and uh, she ch- tried to make some, you know, um, positive, uh, positive intention movements towards uh, foods in schools. And, but that worked itself around to be a shitstorm. Anyways, 
Yeah. No. And, so, uh, it's yeah. Anyways, I appreciate us at least dipping into it. There's a lot to it. Um, yeah, I did. Uh, I did perceive it as a different lane as to what you thought you perceived it as for for those subjectivity and objectivity inside of uh, uh, physical expression for small people um, and the young ones. No, but I thought that yeah, that lens was very interesting, and maybe we can do a uh, yeah, adolescence or children in fitness or something something like that in the future. That would be interesting yeah. to just discuss, like. <clears throat> I mean, even from a philosophy perspective of like beings without, you know, full-on conceptual capacities and knowledge capacities. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. We'd go back to maybe epistemology uh, for pieces of it. And yeah. Can there be good paternalism? Yeah. That type of stuff. So. Yeah, for sure. So, yeah, I guess just to uh, kind of wrap up today, we, uh, we did the second part of our couplet. Uh, talking about subjectivity. Uh, so whereas objectivity is, you know, kind of the ideal in scientific inquiry, subjectivity tends to be the ideal in lots of more culture, um, activities like literature, art, and uh, plays and things like that. And subjectivity centers around this notion of like, <clears throat> what is the unique perspective of that individual as opposed to the God's eye view? Um, you know, we talked about consciousness and what is it like to be a bat and, you know, the, the particularity of your particular viewpoint. Um, and then we talked about subjectivity and fitness related to, you know, the coach and the client about, you know, the client thinks, oh, I should be doing, you know, battle ropes or metcons all the time or what have you. And how does the coach tactfully inject objectivity into that? Um, and then, talking about health tech devices potentially robbing us of our intuition and our subjectivity and then yeah rounded it out with the uh fitness policy for kids discussion yeah, yeah. and thanks for that because uh there was lots of lots of note taking and thoughts uh that went throughout that and uh, uh you're welcome uh to the to the folks that were listening in for us uh tiptoeing into some current cultural you know things uh some real real talk uh, yeah. shows that we are humans yeah yeah shows that we are uh, just not uh talking talking heads james and i don't mind dropping uh bombs yeah goodfellas best movie ever yes <laughs> i'm gonna see if i can make that subliminally like just like every 15 seconds that just rotates throughout all of our episodes uh-huh. yeah go back to the other times where i previously mentioned it All right, man. Uh, that was great. Thank you so much. Um, as always, I've got things to go off here. Uh, some things to dig into for my own learning. Um, so I took down some names and some words and uh, things to, to grow on. Uh, so I appreciate it. Yeah. Thank you so much. Till next time. All right. Till next time.